Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on the rundown. Welcome everyone to episode 58 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a production by Workforce LLC. I'm your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Sherry Cheney-Jones of Shore Impact. Sherry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here on a rainy Tuesday in Columbus. I know. Well, thanks for having me, Paul. It's the highlight of my day. I also hope it's the last thing uh, on your calendar as it's 4.30. <laughs> Before we jump into the questions, this is how I know I'm getting old. I have said multiple times today how much we needed rain, um, and that's just something that I never said in my 20s, but here I am a homeowner, uh, excited about my grass and rain. With that, we will jump in. We're going to get right into it, Sherry. At the top, I want to talk about you co-founding um, two companies. You have founded one and co-founded a couple companies in your career. I guess my first question is, did you always envision yourself being an entrepreneur? Oh, well, I think, I guess I always was an entrepreneur. My very first jobs, it was a babysitter, right? So that's most people's first uh, entrepreneurial gig. But my grandfather was an entrepreneur. My dad was an entrepreneur. And I always thought that I wanted to be a consultant at some point. But I thought that'd be like my, you know, 50-year-old career. And I'm not even yet 50, so... (laughs) I definitely uh, started still a lot time. earlier. There's still time for the dream there's of still, being a consultant. I guess there's, there's still time for me to do even more uh, <laughs> businesses. No, but um, so I think I always saw it in my future, but I think I thought it would happen much later in life than it really did. Got it. That's interesting that you had someone to, you mentioned your grandfather and your father. I mean, do you mm-hmm. think that that gave you, I don't want to say like the permission, but almost like that vision of, well, they did it, right? And this is how they made their career. And and so I'm going to follow in those footsteps. Yeah, I think definitely my father, um, his example was is really kind of key in my memory. And so he had uh, a design firm, product design firm, when I was pretty instrumental ages, like age 10 to 17 or so. And that really shaped my worldview of what, you know, that, that entrepreneurs can support families. So at least I had that um, kind of worldview. So I think that helped when I also decided to start my own firm. Um, I knew I knew it was possible. I knew you could have kids and and run a consulting firm and be successful. So uh, I think it made it a little less scary, but it sure didn't, it didn't give me permission to do it. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> yeah. it just made it a little less scary because I had at least a model in my life where where you could have a good life and it was possible. What advice would you give people that are debating making that leap, right? Like there's a lot of safety in getting paid every two weeks and knowing yeah. that you're going to get paid every two weeks, but there's risks everywhere, right? So what would you give other entre- or budding entrepreneurs that yeah. are looking to start their own business or a social impact business? I'm going to say like the, the answers that I think everyone should say, and I think everyone should do them. So first and foremost, make sure that you, you know, are writing up a business plan. It doesn't have to be really extensive in a lot of time, but that's what I did when I wanted to start my business. I, I really did give it a lot of thought, like 
okay, what services am I going to offer? Who's going to pay for those services? How will I get paid? So I, I did that, you know, I did the responsible thing. I also wanted a, a bit of a cushion, a safety net. So I took on an extra job. So I had a full-time job. Then I took on um, teaching and I basically, everything I, all the money I made through teaching, um, I worked at Franklin University, I saved that. And that was intentional to be kind of my my nesting, if you will, or my, just like my cushion, that if things didn't happen as quickly as I wanted, I, at least I had some some safety net. I needed that as, you know, I was pretty fully into my adulting hood when I I started my first company. Um, So I think if you have a little bit of safety net, a safety cushion, and you've thought through your business plan, once you do those two things, you better love it, love it. Because trust me, if, if anyone has any ideas that being an entrepreneur means you, you know, have more freedom or time, they're telling you <laughs> something that's not true. Yep, you'll have less at the beginning. I mean, you can get there, but at the beginning, you will have you will work harder than you've ever worked in your life. You will work longer than you've ever worked in your life. But if you love it, if you love what you're doing and you're building something that you're truly passionate about, it doesn't feel like work. Um, and that's, that was, it's been the case since I started um, my first company, went fully into entrepreneurship in 2010. It's been a joy. I've worked so hard, but I've loved every minute of it. So you've spent the last 15 years of your career focused on all things collective impact, right? KPIs, Mm -hmm. performance management. I was curious if you'd be able to share some examples of companies that are executing this at a high level and then Mm -hmm. what you think the reason why they're executing at a high level is i have a few very shining stars but i'll i'll speak to those in ohio since we're here um one of the organizations it's actually a foundation it's a funder uh the seamer institute based here in in columbus Um, but they're national they're a national uh foundation and they are very interested in increasing children's education stability. And one thing we know is that when children are living in poverty and they move a lot just because of their housing insecurity, that disruption of moving schools and, and you know going from one school to another school that may be at a different point in you know the, the learning journey is very, very disruptive to a child in their educational development and can set a child back significantly. So the Seamer Institute requires all of their grantees, which is over 150 of them, to track how their programming is increasing families' housing stability, meaning keeping families in their own home so there's no disruptive move for the children, as well as education uh, stability and, and then ultimately income stability because we can we can temporarily kind of shore up someone's housing situation, but if they don't have the income they need to continue to live, you know, comfortably in that home, they could then face further disruptions. And so they have this network across the whole entire uh, country tracking these outcomes um, on their families. And so now they're able to be thought leaders in terms of what's what's working well, maybe in one region, they can share it with their other regional partners and really understanding that return on their investment. So if they're investing millions of dollars to solve this problem, what's working, what's not working, and how can they really drive true social change? What would you recommend to, you know, they, they've gotten past the business plan, maybe they've hired one or two employees. What would you recommend to CEOs or, or founders on 
developing internal KPIs first mm-hmm. versus external. You know, what are we going to report out that our programming is going to improve versus like, mm-hmm. well, how are we going to get there? Like what what's more important to get first or is it at the hopefully at the same time you figure that out? Yeah, I think it's hopefully at the same time and I think it's important that we talk about what is your what is your business model, for example? So as a company, Share Impact traditionally works with government, nonprofit, and social um, enterprises. So mm-hmm. the organizations that we're working with are those who have what I would call a triple bottom line. So it's very, very important that they are measuring their outcomes in addition to their financial metrics, because in the world in which we work, they're beneficiaries. So if you're a nonprofit, if you're a social enterprise, your beneficiaries often aren't the ones that pay for your services. And so it's it's really weird when you think about it that way. So you have to measure both, right? You have to measure how do you get your money and will you have enough money to sustain your organization as well as though, are you creating the change that you want to make? Now, if I'm talking to a for-profit uh, CEO or founder, they're a, they're a little luckier than the social sector founder or CEO because in that business model, value and revenue are are tied directly. So if you are a selling a service or a product and the person you're delivering that service or product to is also the one paying for it, mm-hmm. if they're not finding value in your service or product, what's going to happen? They're not going to buy again. They're not going to tell their friends. And so in those business models, kind of those traditional internal KPIs are the same. Basically, you can use revenues as a proxy. You can you know, use sales as a proxy for value. A value creation and impact. But if we're talking about a nonprofit or, or a social sector where the funders are not the same people as the beneficiaries, then we have to track both. Got it. That makes sense. So if I have anybody that's on a board, this is actually really important, Paul, because I, you know, who knows who's, who's listening in today. But yeah. so if you're a board member and you sit on a nonprofit board and you're bringing your for-profit corporate lens to that board, I want you to think about what I just said. That mm-hmm. if you're asking your your nonprofit executive team that you sit on the board for to just be tracking financial metrics, you're missing an extremely important part of the KPIs. So you really need to think about, do you have data to show and demonstrate how people are better off and that will help help them raise more money? 100%. Yeah, there's, there's so many layers to it, right? And especially mm-hmm. to your example of that fee for service. There's that, okay, is our programming helping you? What what you purchased, is that helping? I mean, that's like the most yeah. basic, right? But then, well, who else, what are the ripple effects? Well, who else mm-hmm. is it helping? Is it then benefiting another nonprofit? Is it benefiting a neighborhood or uh, impact? You know, so yeah, you're, you're spot on. Like there's so many different layers for lack of a better term in that of hopefully that organizations and CEOs and founders are accounting for instead of that just pure revenue focused. Obviously, that's incredibly important, but it's not everything. If your mission is social change, if if you're generating a lot of money, but you're not creating any social change, then why are you raising all that money? (laughs) Yep, exactly. So let's shift to Sure Impact. I'm curious Mm -hmm. to get your, you know, thoughts and, and going back a couple of years, like what inspired you to start it? Yeah, so Share Impact is my second venture and it is it spun out of a need from my first venture. So I started Measurement Resources Company back in 2008 
And my whole mission with that organization was to help mission-driven for impact organizations better measure and communicate their impact and value um, and help them use data to change action outcomes and lives. And I was doing that and I was happily doing that. Like I mentioned, I always thought I'd be a consultant. Well, here I was 20 years before I thought I would be uh, successfully being a consultant. And I grew Measurement Resources Company from, you know, myself as a sole entrepreneur to a team. We had clients all over the country. We still do. And our customers kept coming to me and saying, Sherry, we absolutely love the insights your firm's providing us. What technology should we be using to have this at our fingertips? And I thought at the time, well, I'll find, oh, let's just, let's just find the right partner um, and I'll refer that solution. And, you know, it's good. I've, I've, I've helped my customers solve their problem. But after extensive what is now considered market research, but back then it was just trying to find the right solution, we didn't find the product that we thought should exist. It didn't exist in the market. So I guess because I love a challenge and, and there was, I mean, I wanted the product on the market for my customers and they wanted the product on the market to help them. Uh, we started to explore what would it look like if we build it ourselves. And that was five or six years ago now. So we've, uh, we did, we said yes to the opportunity and, and here we are today. So what Sure Impact is, it's a, it's a cloud-based platform that helps those, that same ecosystem, government, nonprofit, social enterprise, track, measure, and communicate their unique impact. Um, it also allows the ecosystem to connect. So data seamlessly can share from a nonprofit organization to their funder. So the funder has a view of collective impact, but a single nonprofit is able to just see their own impact. And we're really, we're changing, we're creating a new class of technology. We like to call our technology impact management a solution, but most people don't think of that as a, as a, a product. So we're taking case management to the next level. How cool that it, that it was just simply formed from what you were already doing, found the need, and then, you know what, said, oh, I don't see anyone else doing it, so we'll do it. You know, you weren't busy enough. Let's start another company. <laughs> um, what are, when you're talking to, you know, you're, you're all over the country, you're probably talking to every type of, of organization, you know, for-profit, non-profit, purpose-driven, impact-driven. What are some of the challenges that you see these companies face when they finally get their KPIs, they figure out what they are, which is a mm -hmm. process in and of itself. What are the challenges to then take that data and like drive decision-making? Do you see challenges mm -hmm. in that arena? Well, I, I will say that we saw those challenges. And so that was partly why we built Sure Impact was to to take out the hard, right? Yeah. Um, I, I like to often think about, I don't know if you're a fan of Karate Kid, but oh <laughs> the wax God. on, wax off, like once impossible, wow. now easy kind of, of thing. And with Sure Impact, I feel like the concept of having insights and using those insights to make better business decisions when a human has to be responsible for finding where all the data sources are, analyzing the data, then bringing it to leadership teams and make decisions, that feels pretty impossible. I mean, it's not impossible, mm -hmm. but it's definitely not easy. And there's a lot of steps, a lot of manual steps that it really is one of those things that you could just say, never mind, I've got bigger fish to fry. I have children to save. I have people to feed, literally, in, in the market that we're serving. Like, that's what they're saying. This is just, this is busy stuff, and it, it, it's not worth my time when I have these other things to do. 
But we also knew that mission-driven organizations that had this type of data and were using it scaled faster, they raised more money faster, they drove social change, they were more effective with their dollars, so that it was really key to success. So can we take out all the hard? And so when you have a, a you know a solution where your data is analyzed for you and you log in and, and you can understand the relationship between what you're doing and the results that you're having, then it becomes a lot easier to start to have conversations and be curious about what that means and what you should do with it. So I think it's really understanding where are the pain points in getting yourself to data-driven decisions and seeing if you can find ways to automate that or take away those pain points. So for all of the nonprofit leaders right now that are listening uh, that are not using short impact, what does mm-hmm. the process look like? You know, they're going to they're going to send you an email and say, OK, sign me up like from step <laughs> one to, to they're onboarded and, and yeah. using the platform. What does that look like? Yeah. So when we, um, you know, we, we like to always talk to people interested first just to make sure that we are the right solution for them, the right fit. But let's assume that we are. And partner success team works with those organizations to help them identify what, you know, what data do they want to track? What outcome measures do they want to track? What services are they providing? Um, and so we walk them through all those steps. We train them how to use the system, but we also want to get a quick win fast. So we'll do a lot of that early setup for them. And, you know, we're, we're right there along the way, you know, training their, their staff, getting them to start entering and putting their data and they're off to the races, <laughs> if you will. I love it. And that's simple enough, right? That's great. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Rust Belt Rundown. We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Rust Belt Rundown. Talk to me about how your experience as not only a professor, but also as an author influenced your work at Short Impact. Yeah. So the funny thing about being an author is that's another example, right? I never thought I would be a definitely a, a tech software CEO, but I also never <laughs> thought I would be an author per se. I had uh, dyslexia as a child. And so although I love to write and really did love to write, I just never felt very confident in my abilities because of just my own learning disabilities. And um, so I just that was just kind of off the table as something I would ever do. But again, it goes back to seeing an opportunity and having to follow that opportunity. I mentioned about doing my market research when I started my first company, Measurement Resources Company. And at the time, I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I wanted to become a consultant. But I didn't know much about marketing and I didn't know much about uh, sales. And so I did the only thing I knew how to do, which was to create this thing called the Measurement Culture Survey, which was my market research. And so I launched it to a bunch of ideal customers and asked them questions about what data do you have? How are you using the data? What results are you getting? And the results that I found from that market research study were just so fascinating to me that I knew that every leader needed to have that information. Like I just felt so compelled that they needed this information. And this was before podcasts. It was, you know, the internet was around, but it wasn't like it was today. I don't, I mean, most people weren't even using social media yet. And so I thought to myself, well, how do I let everyone that needs to know this information know this information? Well, I guess I have to write a book. And so again, that was just a labor of love. It was about wanting to share the importance of data-driven cultures with the sector and give them the how-to. And so I guess 
I don't know. It was just one of those things that I had a passion about something and I felt like the sector needed to know what I knew and, and needed to, to have that knowledge. And so that's what drove me to write a book. Can you tell me, uh, tell everyone, what is legitimately besides grab a pen and paper and or get your computer, like what is step, I can't even fathom writing a book. Like I really can't, like yeah. I can't even put myself back in college when they were like, oh yeah, you have to write a 30 page essay. I thought that was, a, that was a book to me. I mean, 30 yeah, pages yeah. is enough. And so like, what is, do you just start, like it is as simple as like just type or do you map it out? Like what was, what's your advice? Yeah. So I guess, it's funny you mentioned like, I couldn't even go back to school and write a 30 page wow. paper. Now I had been prior to starting to write a book, like my job was to evaluate programs. So I had to write a lot of reports. So writing was something that I did a lot. Um, but I think it's very basic, right? It start with an outline. <laughs> just okay. don't, don't, yep. I would not start with a blank page and just write <laughs> sentence okay. one. Um, I created an outline. I, I basically kind of created each chapter and what some bullet points I would want to cover in each chapter. But I'll tell you, it, for me at least, it was really fascinating that when I started writing, like once I had the outline and some ideas of what I wanted to share, some of the stories or examples that I wrote, they just came to me while I was writing. You know, it wasn't all thought out. It wasn't all planned. And mm -hmm. something interesting about that whole book process is I had a finished manuscript and then I started uh, shopping it to publishers. And I thought that it'd be like a, I don't know, a small executive read, just a hundred page quick executive read. And as I was shopping it to publishers, Josie Bass, who is my publisher, they said, we're interested in this book, but it, it needs to be a full book. It needs to be 280 pages. And so basically they, they said, so we'll publish it, but I, we need you to write 40,000 more. Go write words. more. <laughs> yes. And I have four kids, but my fourth baby had just been born. So oh, I had like a three or four week old and I had until Mark to finish these these words. And there are three chapters in that book that I wrote every single word and they're great chapters, but I do not remember writing a single This was like mom, mom brain was, was kicking mom brain, in. But it's like, if you know your topic and you're passionate about it, like apparently it just all came out. <laughs> Okay, so write an outline and then make sure you have a baby and then write. No, don't do that. I would advise against <laughs> that. But um, I mean, have babies if you want them. But like against, you know, intentionally having a baby and finishing a book. That just that timing wasn't great. But it it all worked out. Whew, it's admirable to say the <laughs> least, because even thinking about going back to my master's program and writing all those papers. Oh, man, it makes my head yeah. hurt. But there's you um, could also hire a ghostwriter. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I do that, right? I'll just hire. If, if you don't, I have friends that are that are ghostwriters, or I have friends who publish books oh. but used a ghostwriter. Like that's that's also another trick you could do. Interesting. Okay. All right. I'll keep that in mind if I ever get to the author stage of my career. So let's talk about the trends that you're seeing. So you know, dating back a couple of years, you know, you see a gap in the market. You fill that gap. You start sure impact. Here we are. Mm -hmm. What trends are you seeing now? I mean, have you have competitors come out of the woodwork? Like, what are you seeing in the market? What's interesting about our market is there's typically two different types of technologies. So there's the case management technology that helps people you know, track activity. So I served this person and this is what I did with them. And then what we're seeing more of is people who say that they're impact measurement, uh, but it's really more dashboards and data analytics. 
tools and platforms. But the challenge with the, especially our sector, is that if you don't have the data, you cannot analyze the data, (laughs) right? So all of those like dashboarding analytics tools aren't useful because they, they are making the assumption that the sector has the data they need to put it in to make these analytics tools um, interesting. So I think that's where Sure Impact is kind of that sweet spot and best in class because we solve for both problems. We solve for the data collection problem and it's designed the way the sector works and we're solving for the analytics problem. But what we're seeing in terms of trends is more and more funders are requiring this type of data and information because it's easier now to collect it and have insights to it. Got it. And a trend that we're seeing that is, it's extremely interesting that in the cities uh, where we have what we would consider like rock star users of Sure Impact that are having these insights into their work and then they're strategically using it to tell their funders how great they are and how effective and efficient they are, that these these early adopters are just driving sector change because then the funders are getting these great reports from the organizations that have the Sure Impact Insights. And then they're going and asking the other grantees who are asking for money, well, can you share with me your impact? Can you share with me your results? And so the nonprofits that haven't yet gotten there are like, uh, no, no, we don't have those. We need to figure that out. And so that I found that to be really fascinating is to see how our early adopters are driving kind of this culture change, which is really exciting. That's awesome. What, if any, new features or like platform updates do you foresee either the funder side or the nonprofit side, you mm-hmm. know, in the next two, but maybe by 2030, like what, what's the next thing that they're going to be, you know, looking for? Or let's say 2025. Wow. Thanks for giving me a lot of years. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm a, let's go. We're excited because our analytics and what we have out of the box analytics is so powerful that most nonprofits couldn't even dream of this type of analytics. So now that's available, which for me is a huge win. And it's why I started this company. So I'm excited that that's available. And so now I think where we're, where we'll be going is, I mean, we've listened to the voice of our, our customer. Everything we've done has been by the voice of our customer, right? And their needs. So a lot of it will be related to integrations. Our whole desire is to take out the hard of this work mm-hmm. so that, So our users, they can do what only humans can do, right? There's no reason that that nonprofit leaders need to do what technology can do for them. What we want them to be focused on is doing what only humans can do and doing that well. And then we'll come in and help them with the insights, with the storytelling, with the, um, you know, making data collection easier and more effective. That's great. Okay, we got some rapid fire questions to wrap up the episode. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. First one, best piece of advice you've ever received. Uh, Do what you love and the money will follow. Worst piece of advice you've ever received. That having a baby will kill your career. Wow. That is, yeah, bad advice. What is your best and or favorite book you've ever read? Oh my gosh. I read so many books. Um, And if that's too hard, you can do it with the latest book you've read. The latest book I've read? Oh, that was um, Big Magic. By Melissa Gilbert. And what is that about? It's about manifesting your ideas and your big dreams. But one of the things that was interesting about that particular book was about how ideas will, if you have an idea and you don't act on it, it will actually go to someone else. 
Yes. I've, I've heard about this on a podcast actually. So it's like, it's only yours for a finite amount of time. And if you don't act like the universe will yep. deliver some one it will way deliver or the it. We'll find another home for that idea, which is really yeah. kind of fascinating. That is fascinating. It's a little scary too. It's like, you better act. Otherwise you're going to watch someone else do it. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good yep. book. I had something like that happen where I was sitting across uh, the table from another entrepreneur and she was telling me about what she was working on. And I was like, oh my, I had that idea like seven years ago and just, you know, too busy to make yep. it happen. And here she was. And I was like, great, go for it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Right. And, and someone like you that has started two company, right? Like you, you can't, you probably can't act on every idea. Like, so yeah. for every idea you have, you know, one of them is going to go to someone else. It is what it yep. is. Who has been your biggest inspiration? Oh, um, again, you know, so many, uh, but I would have to say my grandfather, he started a Plastic Colors, a company back in the 60s that made a colored plastic, essentially plastic colors, a colored plastic. And, you know, grew that to a very, very successful business by the time he retired. But just his wisdom, you know, World uh, World War II veteran, just all of his, how he raised his family and his grandkids, like every, I just, he's, he's now passed, but just huge influence in my life. That's awesome. Last question. We'll get you out of here. What is your favorite slash go-to restaurant in Columbus? Free advertising for a, a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's so many great restaurants in Columbus, but I'll say it's probably the Rusty Bucket because it's the closest wow. one to my house and it's delicious. Wow. And which are you in? Where, I mean, there's a million. Which, which There's a million. We're in the we're actually um, within walking distance of the original one up in uh, Worthington, Worthington Hills. Area. Oh, wow. Nice. Okay. And that's good that you're recommending the original. That's a, that's a good answer. For our listeners that want to get in touch with you or learn more about either of your companies, where where would you advise them to, to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're interested in just following me, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to find me at Sherry Cheney Jones. You can find more about Sure Impact at sureimpact.com and measurement resources at measurementresourcesco.com. Awesome. Well, Sherry, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and we will be in touch soon as we are part of the Elevate uh, program here at BESA. So I look forward to seeing you in person at our next yeah. check-in maybe. But again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Paul. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time 